Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, it's good to be here with you. Uh, I'm pretty sure that all of you weren't uh, really late to talk, even though everyone came in at nine oh five. Wow, what a beautiful weekend! Gosh, God just sort of yells out in these days. I'm thinking about like getting taking a picture and then putting it on my refrigerator or something, and then, and then one of these, and then crossing off like eight days of June. With that snow, rain, snow, rain, sun, snow, rain, snow, sun, on the same day. I'll just remember these days are coming. And uh, this week was really cool, especially Friday. It was a really great day. Uh, Palmer had just come to town, which is very exciting. Uh, you know, and of course she's trying to hurt and her mom's here. Did, did y'all ever just... That's chapel her mom. Stand up for us. Don't be shy. Just real quick. Good. Thank you. So, you know, uh, Jack Moore is taking all this in. I'm thinking, wow, it's been a talk weekend. And, and, uh, you know, she's going to see all this, you know, crazy, you know, party stuff. Um, so, it, but the thing that was cool about Friday um, is I got some time to study at the coffee shop and I was working on this, which is, was encouraging to me. And then uh, some of the our young adults were up there. So, Hung out with them for a few minutes, just talking and stuff. And that afternoon, uh, we had this gathering for to for the youth to come up and meet uh, Chapel. She come up and meet Palmer at, at, at Rumors, and so it was beautiful. We set up outside. At least thirty kids came, and a few parents. So we're standing out there just talking. And the kids are all running around and being kids and stuff. And it was just so cool to be out on elk. With all those kids. And then I was, I don't know who I was talking to, but at a couple of points I was standing there and I was like, well, that, that uh, young man came to Christ through young life last year. And then this kid came to Christ this summer. And then all of those kids became believers the, the year before that. You know? And so all these newly believing kids. And then Elsa, I see Elsa walking with her friend down the street. I'm like, this because Elsa became a believer a few years ago and is now leading, you know, with her friends in college and life over on the front porch. So it's just so cool. Now what if and Elsa, what if you guys are like two believers at CBCS? And now just imagine what's gonna happen. Like we have another get together in five years and these kids are coming down the street. That is gonna be awesome. Plus it was a beautiful day. Anyway, I was really excited about that. I just wanted to share it with you. It's, it gets me fired up. Uh, the end. Yeah, we can pray. When you talk about what God's doing, it just gets you stoked. I think that's the, that's the deal. Um, so you saw it probably on the front of your bulletin, maybe. I know a lot of you are new. I can see a lot of new faces here. But we've got this new series we're starting today. Call um, it Set Free. And I'm always teasing Lorraine. <laughs> she does all the beautiful artwork that you see around here, and she is she brings the femininity to it. If this was me, it'd be like college letters, you know. <laughs> yeah. So she, you know, so there's she put a bird on it. And, uh, <laughs> but 
know, and, and so then you're talking, making this huge compromise about what it's going to be. You know, can I just buy a shard that's really nice? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, but eventually, you know, you can always make the decision to come and take this one. So, uh, the, the thing was, what I realized is that this could go on forever. I, there is no way I can afford even the next step up, and certainly not the one that's way out there. Right. But he's showing me this diamond, these diamonds, and showing me the amazing things about them, right? And what I realize is that there is some kind of perfection out there that I can never afford, that I can never pay for. But it does exist. Not in diamonds, it doesn't even get there, right? It would never be perfect. But I think that's what Paul's doing with the gospel. He's holding it up and saying, this is the perfect thing. That's perfect. It's unbelievable. Look at it this way. Look at it this way. Here's why. Here's where it came from. This is why it is. Look at, look at it this way. Let me back up and show you this. And so he goes through this whole process with us. It shows us what the gospel is. And we, when we look at it, it should just melt our hearts. We should just be blinded because we could never afford it. We could never afford to be reconciled to God. But he makes it possible. See, that, that's why it's, it's like it. It's like the most unaffordable, invaluable thing ever. And, and it's freely offered to us. We're gonna, he's going to unpack that together But that's kind of the, the big picture of what's going to happen as we walk through the book of Galatians. Today, uh, we're going to just focus on five verses, the first five. And there is a lot in this first five. But I just I want to share just a few things with you. But here is the thing I'd like you to, to be able to go away with. And it's this. What Paul is going to show us is that this... Gospel narrative, this thing that is the gospel, this reconciliation between God and man, is all about the preeminence of God. Okay? I'll explain to you what I mean by that. This is what Paul is going to say is that everything about the gospel, everything we can understand about it, comes from God. He is preeminent, He is first in it. It is all about Him, and it all comes from from him. And he's going to show us that in these first five verses. You'll see it a couple different ways, I think. Let me, uh, let's, let's just read it together. Galatians 1, 1 through 5. So Paul starts out, he says, Paul, I'm an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him up, who raised Jesus up from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, I who this letter is from, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So, three things about this idea of the preeminence of God in the gospel that Paul is going to lay out for us. He is going to, one of them is he's going to show us his preeminence in the gospel in relation to the transformation, the story, in the story of the life of Paul. All right? In the story of the life of Paul, there's going to be this transformation. The second thing 
is the preeminence of God in the Galatian church. Okay? In their story. And then the preeminence of God in the gospel story itself. So we're going to look at it that way as we, as we take this passage apart. And I want to ask you to do this as we... As, as I'm talking, feel free to check out and start a conversation with God about how this applies to you. Because the thing about these... Uh, these letters that Paul writes, these, uh, these epistles, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, General, Electric, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I remember General Electric Power Company. <laughs> when he, he writes these letters, they're, he's telling them about ideas. He's, this stuff can just go into our head and not to our heart. And it needs to go to our heart. This information can't just be stuff that Christians know, or stuff that Christians like. This has to be stuff that changes the life of a Christian. So please be thinking about how this information changes how you interact with your world, in all the relationships that you're in, in your relationship with God. So let's, let's step down to just talk about the preeminence of God and Paul's transformation. Look at verse 1. Paul says, it's me, I'm writing Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, nor through man, but through Jesus. Now this is an unusual start to a letter. Paul gets right to it and says, hey, I want you to know exactly who I am, because there have been some conversation in the Galatian churches about whether or not he had the authority to, to do anything or not. So this... This dialogue's been going, this unrest up at the church up there. And Paul wants to establish who he is right away. This is unusual in all of his letters. So if you're ever you know, studying through, you'll notice that. But here's the thing to me that, that jumped out there is that Paul was trained in a completely opposite way than he reveals about himself in the first line. He says, I am an apostle. I speak for Jesus. Speak for God, not by the authority of men. Okay? Because all of Paul's life, from, from the earliest days, he has been prepared to please men, to achieve the things that men see as important in order then to be right before God. This has been his, his way of working so that people can see his good deeds. Right? His righteousness. So Paul's kind of an outstanding person. He had achieved a lot in the eyes of men. Right? Paul uh, was bright. He had some resources. He studied under the best teachers. And he became a leader in the Jewish community. Had a lot of respect. But it was all about what he could do. He was earning his way to have a place before God. And so what he's saying here is it's, it's not about the rules of men that make me this person. It's about who God is. In the back part of that verse, it says, uh, um, Paul an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus. So, um, the relationship that Paul has with God has nothing to do with his performance. So, I have a couple friends in big corporate America, and, uh, Without naming the businesses, but I know many of you have experienced this both positively, positively and negatively. But in the business that he worked for, 
every evaluation time, he had to take his whole team, however big his team was, and rank them. And there were no ties, right, in his business. No ties. And you guys, I'm sure, how many have experienced the joy of, of that work? Both sides, and even having to decide that this has to be done. And so everyone is ranked on performance, top to bottom. Our whole way of thinking, even best practices and the best businesses, are based on performance. We're totally how we look, how smart we are, what we wear, every everything is based on performance. And we just can't help it. Even the early church couldn't help it. They were they were, we'll talk about this in a minute, but they were beginning to look at performance. And that's where Paul is stepping and saying, no, it's not about that. Um, Paul has this moment where he is on the road, and many of you know the story, he gets confronted by Christ. And confronted because Paul is out persecuting the church. He's holding the cloaks while they're stoning the, uh, the, the follower of Christ, Stephen. And he is, he is totally involved. He's on his way in Syria. He's on his way over there to do some more damage. And Christ comes and has this moment with Paul. And Paul is transformed in that moment completely. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I zoom out and think about that situation, and I think of this guy who has been earning his points before men to be good before God. And suddenly, God is really going to use him. Everything that he did was not preparing him. Right? All that stuff was not pleasing. Because Jesus came and said, hey, it's not about what you do. It's about the relationship that you have with me. Can you imagine what it was like for the first Christians who had experienced Paul in their presence, what it must have felt like. Like, oh my gosh, how, how can we let this guy in? He's been, there's a good chance he's going to hurt us. Right? Imagine what that sort of... Said. But suddenly Paul is on a rampage to plant churches. God takes the best of who Paul is and turns it around. And in their relationship then, Paul goes out and does amazing things for Jesus. That's really, that is cool. And it didn't have anything to do with his prerequisites. Right? His prerequisites should have disqualified. Would you have hired Paul? <laughs> he has a lot of problems we're dealing with, right? So, but Jesus looks at things a little different, brings it in. And so Paul goes all over and does these missionary journeys. You've probably heard about those. In one of his early missionary journeys, he goes up to this area called Galatia, which is north of Greece. And he starts planting churches. Um, I, let, me, um, let me step into our next point where I talk about what that might have looked like. So the, the first idea is that God is preeminent in the gospel and the transformation of Paul. He is doing this with Paul, changing his life completely. But then this other thing, this next thing happens, this preeminence of God in the Galatian church. Think about this for a moment. Imagine what it was like to be with Paul as he went on these missionary journeys. He, he is, um, he goes into a town where he may or may not know anyone, but certainly not very many people. And in that town, he starts to tell people about Jesus. 
And it gets to the point where there's actually a small church formed. Have you ever been around anybody like that? This guy, this was amazing. It must have been incredible to be with him. To see this God using him transform to plant church. And he would start a church and nurture it up a little bit with his friends. And then he would go to the next town and they'd do the same thing again. And the next town. And the next town. And then that town would throw them out. In fact, he would try to kill Paul. But then his friends would go get him. Stand him up and take him to the next town. So he just, he had, God was using him in an amazing way. Right? But I, I like to picture what that was like because, I mean, what if, what if, let's not talk about Dutch church, but what if Obi Joyful was actually planting or starting churches in other places? I mean, there are a lot of believers in here. I know not all of us are, that's okay. But what if? That would be amazing. There's a little church over in Glenwood that uh, our friends over in Aspen have planted a church there. Yeah, there's other churches in Glenwood, but there are a lot of people not in, not uh, following Christ in Glenwood Springs. And they've started this church, and I think two weeks ago was there, they've been meeting in house, and their first meeting uh, publicly was in a little coffee shop. I mean, the gospel going out from one church to another. That's exciting. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. I think it could be an exciting thing for Obi Joyful to be a part of as we see what it was that was happening in the early church. Why can't it happen now? Our culture looks like the early church, I think. But unfortunately for Paul, when he gets back to Jerusalem, he's already set up leadership in these churches. There's enough of him, enough of these churches for him to write a letter that says to the churches in Galatia. That's amazing. All right, they're going to pass this letter around. And they're all going to read it. And there's enough of them that this, is, this has become such a major issue. There's so many believers up there. <clears throat> Can you imagine what it felt like for Paul to know that all of that effort that he put in, all that work, all the serving, suddenly is going south. And he's, have to, he's going to have to come to them and say, something is wrong. That's what, this, that's what this book is about. It's clarifying the gospel because they're drifting from it. What they had begun to believe was something about the gospel that's not true. Let me, let me put it this way. What if I had said to you, the gospel, the, no, being reconciled to God, is about doing. is about what you can do. What if I said that to you? Hopefully that rubs you a little wrong. Like, okay, get all the sacraments done. You keep doing it. Because that's how you're going to be right with God. Or... Find a way to erase the bad stuff you did in your life. Or the stuff you're going to do. Or erase the thoughts that you've already had today. What are you going to do? If it was all about how you did stuff to please God, what would that look like? And they were starting to believe. There were some people that came in and started to teach that. But here's the difference between the gospel that Paul's showing us and that. The gospel is about uh, say this way. Every other religion is about doing. The gospel is done. Every other idea about how to know the Creator is about doing stuff to get there. But what the, the Scripture clearly and plainly says, is it's not about doing. You cannot do enough. You can't fix enough. You can't make it right enough. You can't be right enough. 
but it's been done. You couldn't, I couldn't earn enough to buy it, but it's been done. And it's something I, want, I constantly come back to. It is not without doing because it's been done. We see that contrast, but we slip into that thing where I've got to do things. I've got to do, I've got to be. And we, and we check the list of doing things before we check the relationship, because the relationship has to be right. You know, I, I think I've told you all about going to counseling with my wife several years ago. I went in there, I wanted a list of to-dos. Right? Scott, it's, yeah, it's obviously your fault that you're having problems. We all know that. But <laughs> here, here's the list of things. You do these things, and it's going to start to turn stuff around. And we didn't do that at all. They never gave me a list. We started talking about the relationship. We started getting to know each other better with, with the help of a professional. Right? This is about the relationship, not about checking the boxes. It's, it's similar with God. Um, see, the, the Galatian people, even though they started to drift in their mentality towards a, this idea of having to do things, these people were coming into their community saying, you've got to, some of you, you've got to, some of them teaching, you've got to become Jews before you can become a Christian. Right? You've got to do these certain Jewish rites, and then you can become a Christian. In other words, you have to do to follow us. And that's just, I mean, Paul's transformation is a great example of the fact that that is not true. It was about doing it, it's about relationship. Regardless of where their mental thought meant about what they had to do, the fact is that they were still reconciled to God because it's about love. It's about God's preeminence in the gospel, not our preeminence. Which shows the preeminence of God in the story of the gospel played out in the tribulation. So, third thing. The preeminence of God just in the gospel story in general. And Paul brings it out in several places. One thing that perhaps you notice as we read through there is that Paul continually references God as the Father. Did you notice that? Let's, let's look at it real quick. If you want to throw it there again. Uh, he, he calls... He says, It's me, Paul the Apostle, not from men, but through Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and these brothers with me in the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from his present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. He's continually coming back to this idea, this little foundation that God is preeminent in all of these things. Um, he's, he's trying to make sure that we see that. In fact, in verse 3 and 4, uh, he says, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from his present age, according to the will of our God. Father. Jesus did the work, but whose will was it? It was the will of God. So God is behind this thing that is happening. There's somehow this uh, relationship amongst the parts of the Trinity work together and have different roles. But God the Father has will that God the Son would 
replace us. It was his plan. But here's another thing. Uh, it's the power of God that proves the gospel. If you look back up a verse to verse 1, it says, uh, an apostle in the second half, through Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So not only did God will that Jesus would rescue us, but it was also his plan to raise Jesus. Because without the resurrection, now we'll, we'll talk about this more, without the resurrection, we don't have anything. This was the proof. This is the thing we can look back and see the transformed lives of everyone who was a follower of this that came in contact with because they, Because he was alive. Because if he never came back, they would have never started the church. It wouldn't have happened. It doesn't make any sense. So it is, it's his power of resurrecting this man, a God, Jesus, right, that makes the gospel possible. So it's his power behind the gospel. Here's, this is one of the things I wish I could say in a really eloquent way, but, but bear with me, because it is his eternality, his permanence, that assures the gospel forever. Just think about this for a second. We take in all of what this says about the character of God, and when we understand what we do about our own character, The right of membership, if you will, or adoption into the family of God, this reconciliation, has to be maintained by someone. Think, think about it. It's a permanent relationship. And that permanent relationship, we're saying right here, is not dependent on us. But it must be dependent on someone. We, we kind of take that for granted when we talk about this. When I think about it, I take for granted that God is the one who's going to support this covenant forever and ever and ever. At the very end of verse 5, it says, To God the Father, to all be all glory forever and ever. Amen. This relationship is never-ending, and the reconciliation that it provides brings him glory. It pleases him immensely. That's what that means. It pleases him to sustain the relationship that we have with him. And we can't mess it up, because it's on him. He is preeminent. God the Father is preeminent in the gospel. That's the angle that we're looking at. And let me close with just one one last thought. Uh, you know, the reason that Paul was so zealous for God when he was young and when he went after his conversion to follow Christ, he's, through his whole life, he was aware, he had the sense that something was not right. What else could drive him? What else could drive him? Something was not right. There was a broken relationship between him and the Creator who provides this unbelievable place that we're saying. He has always, Paul, and like many of you, has always been aware of this broken relationship, that he was not right. And he wanted it to be right, so he did everything that he could, everything that he knew, to make it right. 
And that drives us. But in verse 4, it says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Uh, I like the way Tim Keller talks about it. He, he translates that word uh, deliver accurately as rescues us. He rescues us. Not, and when he says this evil age, he's not talking about just you know, the bad things that are happening. Okay, God's, God knows about all that. This evil age is the place of rebellion that we are in, this broken relationship. The relationship we have that is broken with God until Jesus gave himself. Keller describes it like this. It's like, it's like we're drowning. We're going to drown. It's a bad situation. And every other religion <coughs> says, hey, here's what you do to get out of there. I'm going to throw you the book of rules. You read it and get out. But nobody who's drowning has time or the inclination or ability to read the rules or get them all right. And here's how he describes it. He says, instead of giving us rules, Jesus gets in the water and takes our place as he pushes us out. All, our only part of that is to say, I would like you to take it. That's our, that's our whole thing. The do for us is just to believe, to reach, to say, okay, I believe you can take me. Take me out of this. Rescue me. And so, the cost of our rescue, the cost of the permanence, was the life of Jesus. No other religious leader, no other religion, no other thing that you can find, no spiritual anything can you go to and know that that thing has taken your place. It will only be rules. Yeah. It will only be the next step for you to become this thing. No. The relationship with Jesus is, is set instantly and protected forever because of the preeminence of God. Think about that. Let us settle in. I'm going to pray for us. God, you have uh, done amazing things for us. And just, it, it's so ridiculous how we take for granted the, the beauty of the gospel, the, the way that it holds together so amazingly, uh, the absolute uniqueness of it in, in the story of the world, God, the story of the history of mankind. And God, we are constantly drifting towards uh, trying to please and to perform. You've got to pray that in our understanding of you, Settle and rest in our relationship with you and realize that it's just by the way. There could be no other way. But we want it to be another way. We want to earn it. We want to, to do these. Lord, let, let the actions of our faith be a reflection of the joy that we find in the relationship we have with you. So, Lord, we just lift that up now. Thank you for everyone who's here. Help us to just enjoy what you've created uh, as we breathe in the air and uh, we walk out of this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you.